0: there thank you so much for downloading this episode of the future of agriculture podcast my name is tim Hamrich, and if you're interested in where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production you've come to the right place are ag tech and regenerative agriculture at odds i mean regenerative is committed to working with nature and a lot of ag tech is often trying to manipulate nature in some way Ag tech is often automating and trying to displace human capital or labor when regenerative is often trying to bring people back to the land. Ag tech often includes buying new hardware or paying as a service fees for software when regenerative is trying to rely as much as possible on what is generated and then regenerated from the land and minimize inputs and costs. Those are the ideas that are sort of floating around in my head when I decided to put together this episode. And as an aside here, probably the best part of doing this podcast is is getting to hear from you, from those of you who listen. A few months ago, I got an email from a listener who politely was asking me to feature more European stories on the show, particularly something from Switzerland or Germany, where he is from and where he now lives. Uh, I wrote back and asked what topics he thought would be of interest from the area, and he responded with maybe something either in ag tech or regenerative agriculture, two topics that uh, definitely interest me. Well, that listener's name was Max Weitz, and he recommended a friend of his to be on the show, Benedict Bosel. After hearing more about each of their backgrounds, I actually invited both of them to be here on the show, and I'll tell you why and what all this has to do with the ag tech regenerative conversation in just a moment. First, I want to tell you about another podcast you should be listening to, the Off Farm Income podcast. I first discovered this show, hosted by Matt Breckwald way back in 2015— when I started to listen to Ag Podcast for the first time, uh, he's now up to almost a thousand episodes, which is hard for me to even wrap my head around. He publishes six of them every week featuring small businesses in agriculture, uh, FFA SAE projects and rural crime stories and prevention tips. He's been helping people achieve the farming lifestyle since 2014. So if you love agriculture and are interested in that farming lifestyle, this is a show that you'll definitely want to listen to. Find the Off Farm Income podcast on any podcast player or visit www.offincome.com. Thanks, Matt, for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Much appreciated, sir. Okay, back to Max and Benedict here. Uh, both of these guys grew up on farms in Germany and left agriculture for a bit. Max to business consulting and Benedict to investment banking. Then both of them found their way to ag tech. Max went to work for John Deere and is now at a high-tech produce sorting company called QualiSense. We're going to get back to Max later in the show. The first part of our conversation today will be with Benedict about his work in regenerative agriculture. Benedict, for a time, was working hard to build the agtech ecosystem in Germany. But the more he learned about regenerative agriculture, the more he saw it as a better future for himself and for many others. So he returned to the farm about an hour east of Berlin to test and develop different forms of regenerative agriculture, such as holistic grazing, centropic agriculture, agroforestry, market gardening, as well as different composting methodologies. In addition to the operation of traditional agriculture and forestry, the estate is also a test site for ag startups and research projects. He also offers land to entrepreneurs who are enthusiastic about regenerative agriculture, but have no access to land themselves. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Benedict is talking about his regenerative farming operation.
1: We have an agricultural estate. We do forestry on, on roughly 3,000 hectares altogether. It's, um, uh, we are defined by, let's say, our context as, as I think most farmers are. So we have very sandy soil and amazingly low precipitation and huge drought problems, especially in early spring or late spring, early summer. So this really defines, um, I guess our area. And I mean, my journey led me to this place, which is a, is a old family home, um, which, you know, after the wall came down, we basically started to rebuild. And, um, this journey is, uh, quite something that, that goes into a different direction than I, I thought, what I thought it would be when I was a bit younger, I guess. I mean, I always grew up on a farm or around farms and it was always, I spent, I have two older sisters. So I was forced to, sp- to spend a lot of time on my own in, in, in the countryside and in the woods. Um, so that had a big influence on my upbringing. But then when my family went back to, to Eastern Brandenburg to rebuild the estate that my, my step grandfather's family, uh, used to have for, for, for a couple of centuries. You know, I didn't think that you know being in Eastern Brandenburg doing agriculture, ecological agriculture, is is very sexy. So I started in investment banking first, and then I did restructuring. And through those times, <clears throat> also living through the financial crisis, I realized that this is not really what brings value to my life. And you know, can have a definition of if that brings value in a couple of uh, levels, I guess. But um, I realized that I need to go back to the roots. I need to go back to sort of the, the question of how do we use our resources and. Then I started delving into the whole realm of, of startups and innovation and in, in the ag space and started to initiate different projects in and around Germany and Europe and started being, you know, doing due diligence and analyzing fundraising in, in the whole ag tech space. And what I realized to actually the discussion with the startups that, you know, that sort of vision of, you know, by X, Y, Z, we'll have how many people And we'll have, you know, deteriorating soil. We have drought situations and extreme weather conditions. I always thought that's not a future scenario that is already happening. And it's happening uh, where I come from and where I'm responsible for, I will be responsible for. So then I decide in December 2016 to actually go back here on the farm and basically start with the whole, you know, the whole agriculture and forestry business and basically see where we at and, and what we have to do in order to be. Set up in a, I say, you know, resilient way on an economic, ecological, and social uh, level, I guess, especially with regards to, to you know, changing climate and changing, having a more difficult context, I guess, and that's really where we basically came from.
0: It was your mindset at that time to go create a model for the future of agriculture, or was it to have a lifestyle? You know, mostly like this is the way I want to live and this is the world I want to live in or was it I need to find a model that can scale elsewhere?
1: It's interesting. I have that discussion sometimes in my head um, because it has something of of not being humble if I think you start off and you say, I want to create the model of X, Y, Z. I think everyone, anyone who says that uh, they haven't done practical agriculture on the outside and know what, what, what nature can do to you, right? So I'm I'm kind of wary when it comes to I want to be X Y Z because you know if there is a drought of 16 weeks without a single drop of rain, which we've had here in 2018, you know you become very calm and and uh, you're easy on 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 that kind of uh, saying. But at the same time, I mean, when I took over coming from the technological and digital innovation side, you know, I thought technology and digital tools that is going to help us, you know. Get the situation a bit better when it comes to land use and climate mitigation and health and so on. And what I realized while basically being in, in, in contract uh, discussions with one of the largest agriculture companies uh, on a global scale about having like this 1000 hectare farm outside of Berlin, getting all the technology there, all the digital tools, and have like politicians come, customers come, all that. I realized wow, this has nothing to do with the problems that we have. It has no connection to the real essence of, you know, what we see here, what we live by and what we believe the future might look like. So I basically stopped and during that process, I realized that in many situations, innovation in the space is basically developed out of a exploitative understanding of complex ecosystems especially when you have teams that are coming from an interdisciplinary area. So if your understanding of agriculture is horizontal monoculture and one harvest per year, the innovation that can come out of this kind of belief of a model of agriculture can only be trying to reduce the negative outcomes of the predominant production model. And I think if we want to change what we need to change, our way of land use in in many cases, I think we have to, you know, step methodology, like a a step back, so to say, say, and look at the root causes of the problems and then see how can we use or how can we change the root causes to not have the negative outcomes in the time behind that or after that. So that's not really all. That's not only technology and digital innovation, but it's systems innovation. It's also ecological and social innovation. I don't have a problem with technology. I don't, I'm not against technology, not at all. I think it's going to be an amazing tool. It's going to be an incredible instrument and we desperately need it. But I think, and I strongly believe, and this is my opinion, obviously from my context, that we do need to have a look at the systemic change that is needed in order to solve the large problems of our time, which is health and all of this on a global scale, health, you know, land use rural development education culture uh, climate mitigation obviously i think all of these are only dependent on the question of land use and you know i think that is really what we have to look at and i think we have to enable farmers everywhere on the world to basically become more independent and get more flexibility have more diversity and um, basically give them all the products and tools and the knowledge that they need in order to solve all these problems. Because we all, all of us that are not farmers or farmers as well, we want a nice climate. We want biodiversity. We want, you know, a nice product. We want, we all want something, but there's only one group of people on the whole global world that can solve it. It's the farmers themselves, but most of them are frustrated. Because people have a good idea and, and, and a tip what they could do. But in the end of the day, they take all the risk and, you know, they are the most important people that we have looking after not only the planet, but also supplying the food. So I think we need fundamental changes in the industry.
0: When you went back, we talked about kind of were you trying to create a model or were you just trying to do what you thought was right? And, and, and I understand, you know, in your case, you were kind of searching for... A model that makes sense for you, first and foremost, and for your farm. Now, did you go back to family members that you were working on the farm with? And what did they think about some of the ideas you were coming back with?
1: I think, you know, once I realized that it's not going to be the technology and digital track only, and I know by the time I already initiated, having plenty of startups here, having loads of different research projects that were going on with research institutions, what I did was that i looked for innovation systems innovation all across the world so i wrote thousands and thousands of emails basically always just inviting people farmers um, ngos science group politicians whatever to come over and say look guys i have this huge problem here and if you're working on this or if you've got solutions just come here you can have my land you can use it i don't want any money for it i basically just invited everyone to come because i didn't know anyone in the scene either right so through that. Wait, I think from, so what
0: was the huge problem?
1: Well, you know, just the outlook of having sandy soil and drought problems, severe drought problems. You know, I mean, things just don't grow really well, yeah? And obviously, you know, climate is getting more challenging, it seems, right? So, you know, there's certain forecasts that in 20, 30 years, we won't be able to grow grain here anymore, right? If you think about, you know, a family and having maybe kids at some point giving that you know to your kids i mean what are you going to give them to them like you know you have to think about those those things in long term right i mean my step-grandfather always said i will never dance underneath the trees that i plant right so and it, it goes the same for me but it's the kind of long-term view i think you need to have especially if you own the land so basically i i looked around and and looked for answers all across the world and then through that i came on to the whole area of regenerative farming and it was interesting to see that depending on or independent on where you were looking at was it Elaine Ingham in Australia was it Ernst Goetsch in Brazil was it Gabe Brown was it Alan Savory was it you know I think most of us uh, or, or many of you know you know those kind of visionaries at that point many of them didn't know the other but all of them in different parts of the world have the same underlying characteristics and that was you know protect the soil at all costs and soil microbiology and photosynthesis and roots and don't you know all those classical ones and all of them had found models where the focus was to grow soil to grow you know soil organic matter and this is what we most desperately need so once i realized that you know these are all different ways of getting to the same sort of target or I would say this same sort of solution with regards to building soil organic matter, that's really when I decided, okay, so what is the one thing that makes our estate or our place here so different to any others? It's that bad context of having sandy soil and low precipitation. So I knew this from investment banking where we always try to turn to turn gold uh, from, from shit. Um, that Um we kind of did the same thing here. I was like, okay, so this is a big thing. But what if I bring in all these different multifunctional land use models from all over the world and try to prove them in our challenging context? Because if I can prove them that they're ecologically, economically and socially, you know, better than the current, let's say, ecological conventional model and you know, as a side thing, I don't like you know, those, you know, the barriers in between and the words for all that. I think that's total bullshit. But apart from that, I thought I'm sorry,
0: the barriers between what?
1: Yeah, that whole that whole emotional fight about is conventional bad or is eco oh, good or one. all that. Gotcha. It's I think it's total nonsense, right? yeah. Um, so so what I said is basically I want to prove or I, I'm going to try to find out if they are ecologically, economically, and socially beneficial. And if they are, I want to show it because if I can prove that in our challenging, extremely challenging context that they are, that I do earn more money with it, that you know biodiversity is increasing, that soil health is picking up, that soil you know fertility is getting better, then you know no one can say, well, of course, with with all your good soil and, and with all your rainfall, obviously it's going to work. Because if it works here, it's going to work everywhere. So. I think that was like sort of the the point where it turned from not only looking to how can i secure our farm but i realized that i have this potential here to bring people and to bring visionaries and to bring just people that have the right energy and the right vision to try out new ways to to test things to do mistakes to put their hands into the soil reconnect with the soil and find solutions. And those solutions are obviously also for us, because if we're not economically viable, you know, the the solution finding will end soon. But obviously, you know, if you have a challenging sandy soil and if you have low precipitation, chances are that experiences that we have or that we have made will not obviously one-to-one be applicable to you, but quite a few things and characteristics and ideas that we have tested here will be somehow helpful to you. So this is how it then changed. I mean, today. You know, we have uh, basically integrated two different agroforestry systems, one syntropic agroforestry system together with the end-scourge. We do holistic grazing with cattle and, uh, and chickens. Uh, we have different, uh, composting methodologies. Uh, we have a market garden basically that we ran to, to a pair here. So we, from, from that has come basically this, the space where, you know, we have incredible luck that, you know, people who love the space and who see all the potential in agriculture and who love doing that stuff that come here and that work with us on all these different products and projects. And now, you know, there is a certain energy that has come from it, that people actually come from everywhere and they want to see it and they want to visit it and they want to, they want to work with us and they want to volunteer and they want to learn. Although, you know, the first thing I always say when I give a farm to is look, we don't know anything. Right, and we can just tell you what we what we see here, what we believe, but we don't have any solutions, right? So I think that's important to know that you know we are only very at the beginning, and you have to be humble about it. But I strongly believe that you know this is the way, at least for us, in this incredibly difficult context, and I think it will be more and more as time change and as as uh, also the climatic changes. And I think more and more people are aware of all the sort of connections that, you know, the soil and the health of the soil, health of the plant, health of the animal, and last but not least, you know, health health of humans as concerned. And I think Corona has helped us rethink, you know, that connection to our roots. And I think this is something that that will go on.
0: I definitely see the you know the long term impact in obviously building you know soil biology, biodiversity, water holding capacity, all sorts of stuff there. short term though, uh, from a business standpoint, what has the the p and l difference been for you and kind of give us a sense you don't have to you know open your books to us here, but give us a sense of when you started what the business uh, profit and loss type looked like versus now, or any any sort of contrast you can draw there?
1: right. I mean, um, first of all. You know, I think what I realized during that phase is that, you know, we have made believed as farmers that, you know, in order to stay on top of the game and to be, you know, as good as the others and to, you know, get a good proficiency or efficiency, we have made to believe we need to constantly invest into new machinery, new refinery, new houses new whatever it is but that makes us more dependent this makes us have more and more debt this makes us less and less a free farmer that can decide for her for him uh himself what to grow where to grow when to grow look after the land this is obviously some human kind of thought but it's capital it's human capital i live here i work really really hard and everyone does but we are having fun. We are having an amazing time. You know, we are getting up in the morning. Everyone is smiling and, you know, ready to, to get going. So this has incredible value. So I think we need to have this value discussion at some point of time. And what I do is I invest all the money that I have into the soil and trees and animals. This is the change that I do. Do I have a and L? positive effect as of now no i don't because i've planted about 30 40, trees since april last year i've bought around 50 cows which are now 100 by the way so <laughs> there's some value being being accumulated there and and i've invested also in, in in people and and things like cover crops and nurse crops and things like that which ultimately they are a cost factor but it's an honest and and obvious business decisions, a strategic decision to invest into what is gonna save, you know, my lives, the, the the lives of the people who live here and you know my family sooner or later. And if you go through a let's say a restructuring phase, uh, and I've done the restructuring for, for two years in a in a different context, um, it is a time where you invest and you have to, you know, in Germany we have the saying you have to tighten the belt, right? We have a saying for everything in Germany, but apart from that. You know, obviously it's not business as usual. No, we are going a complete new way. We're taking risks. We are, we are facing uncertainty, but that's also part of the beauty. So do I have a PLL effect today? Not now, not yet. I mean, there's also certain costs that I have, you know, that I don't. Have anymore because I don't grab out the field. Once I, I, I harvest or because I have a nurse crop or the cover crop. So there's some less diesel and there's some less maintenance and some less work hours, let's say. But in total, for now we're going through a transition phase. And that comes with not buying the Porsche this year, I guess.
0: And <laughs> hey, Benedict, does your new model require more people on the farm?
1: Um yes, for sure. And I'm I can proudly say this and this is so important. This is the beauty of it. I mean agriculture for some reason has has gone from, you know, back in the day us knowing that, you know, these guys are feeding us, wow, thank God, you know, if there is one, to Oh, you know, it's if you're a farmer, it's like saying you're, I don't know, something not so pleasant. And I don't understand why that has happened. Farming is, at least to me, the most incredible business you can be in. I think it's the most important business you can potentially be in. There is such a beauty in it. It It's just amazing. And I mean, I have had different jobs. And... I think this is what we have to get back into people's minds. And especially we have to get this into back into young people's minds. And I we've seen Fridays for Future. We've seen young people, the young generation. They are asking questions that we've never asked. They are searching for solutions. They're searching for different ways. And, you know, we always talk about young people not want to get in there and farm workers. Are, well, you know, I don't get any of that. Like, I I don't see why that is a problem. If you are able to portray the beauty of it and, how much value it gives to you, how much sense it gives to you also on a spiritual way, not spiritual, you know, whatever spiritual, but, but like honestly spiritual, you go to bed and you're happy and it gives you a pleasure to it. We totally underestimate that factor of actually understanding what, what a beautiful work this is and what potential lies in there. And also, when I think about, you know, the whole discussions we are having on the future of agriculture and, you know, it's going to be farming as a service. I mean, sorry, but that's going to be the worst thing that, that can ever happen because what happens to rural areas? I mean, I, I, I live in a rural area. I could tell you a little side story on that, but that's not uh, about the whole technology and the whole self-driving things. I mean, we can have certain ways where we where we have that, but we always let out the human part of it. Have you ever had any discussion where the human played a role in it? it it's not happening and, and, and how can it not? I can't understand it. We we have to have the human is the number one priority in this game and the technology and the our vision of the future has for some reason no relation to the human and this is not going to work and I, I don't think it is. There will be certain parts of it I think obviously, but I think there's going to be a huge change into understanding and reliving the value of land, reliving the value of agriculture and creation and creativity on the land, right? I mean, I think that is going to change drastically. And I mean, to be honest with you, Tim, you 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 mentioned something that obviously has an incredible effect. I mean, the ag industry as such, this is more than than an hour on a podcast. But, you know, I think what we have to also hear is see that we somehow get, you know, a, a thinking of... Purpose company uh, values into sort of ag companies, or at least be certified or be corporation certified, because you know they are having the responsibility for everything. I mean, there's only like a handful of companies in each of the sectors that are relevant to health or to to food and ag, and we have to make them take care and take responsibility of the land, the way they you know provide services and and products and and what drives them in producing or offering products and and what kind of effects that has on the communities. I think that that is going to be part of the discussion that we need to have. And I mean, coming to investors, I think, you know, that that space is incredibly interesting because the, the challenges that we are facing are so big that there is enough money to be made on basically trying to overcome those challenges. I mean, if at if I'd be smart enough, and if I'd be, you know, starting over, I would look for, you know, a solution or a product in the ag space that basically is defined by making itself redundant, right? So, I mean, if you think about a, a agriculture equipment manufacturer, and they have a sprayer, and they have a planter, and they have a combine, and they have a, a, a grubber, and and a, and the plow, so why would they have in like a motivation to innovate on an agriculture equipment that basically allows you to constantly drive into your cover crop and plant directly in there with a combination of a really deep subsoiler, for example. It's not that difficult to build. Why has no one done it? I, I don't understand it. Well, obviously they, they want to sell as many different agricultural equipments as they can. And I understand that from a business point of view, but we as people, as, as farmers, as people who have kids, we should be saying, "Hey, guys, could you be so kind and, and develop that that amazing piece of equipment? Because we could do so much better, and we could capture more carbon, and we would have more biodiversity, and you know, we would use less things that that are not good for the ecosystem or the people." So, I think there's enough to be made in in any sense. Um, I think we just have to change the why, and with that, the approach of you know, why are we developing products and for whom?
0: One thing that is on my mind about regenerative agriculture is certainly the trend, and I'm not saying this will happen in the future, but it's certainly the past trend has been technology gets cheaper and human capital gets more expensive. So models that seem to focus more on the human element, which I agree is missing and needed, you know, run into this problem of the technology getting cheaper but the humans getting more expensive. And I, I'm I don't know what you think about that, Benedict, but
1: uh, it's going to be part of the argument, you know. But I think what is something that I realize every day is that, you know, farming is t- is a tough business to be in. And I think as much as economic viability is, is has to be your priority. There is one priority that goes even before that. And that is how you as a farmer and your family feels every day. If you're depressed, if you are having a bad time, you know, you, you need to change something about that because no one can do that. And I think we have to take that so much more serious than we do, and I think Even if it's a small project, just getting your hands dirty, just to start planting some trees, which your kids are going to love. If you just have some chickens on the side, this is going to give you pleasure to your life and this will add something that you might miss. So we don't have to all do the same and we don't have to say, is this the future or that the future? No, but are we living a life that's worth living? And I think that is something we have to talk more about.
0: Absolutely. Well, some profound stuff there from Benedict. Thanks so much. I do want to turn the attention over to the guy who made this episode possible by emailing me all those months ago, Max Weitz. Uh, as I said, Max grew up on a farm in Germany, just like Benedict did, uh, but he now lives in Zurich, Switzerland, where he works for QualiSense. Max is going to give a little bit about his background here, and then we're going to shift gears into a conversation about European ag tech versus American ag tech, and Max's thoughts on this conversation about the relationship between ag tech and regenerative agriculture.
2: After a great time at John Deere, I basically switched perspective, coming from a large organization as John Deere and telling the national dealers in Eastern Europe how to sell. I actually joined a much smaller company, and since all of our customers at QualiSense are much larger than us, I changed perspective, and now I try to convince uh, all the big customers in the world to buy our equipment. So that's actually quite a change, actually.
0: And share with us what QualiSense does from a high level.
2: From a high level perspective, uh, the QualiSense is committed to innovate the sorting technology in the world. and. The idea is that QualiSense provides high-speed uh, sorting technology and um, analytic technology to different uh, food and agricultural companies. And uh, I guess the innovation in that respect is that QualiSense combines NIR technology with camera technology and Algorithms that we have developed um, that combines the information of both the camera and the NIR at a high speed level faster than any other sorting system can do on a single kernel technology level as we analyze and sort each and every single kernel and we do that on different commodities this commodity can be soy corn peanuts barley rice oats and uh, we have by now installations on four different continents and across all industries from food to agriculture academia everything is covered
0: all right And, and max you know you've worked for john deere Uh, You now work for Qualysense, obviously. You've been in business consulting. A lot of our listeners are in North America. What can you tell us about the differences between European ag tech and American ag tech? Ag tech in Europe as opposed to American ag tech innovation, I can
2: start with maybe having first to look at the large organizations in the ag world, Europe compared to the U.S. We are doing the vast majority of our business in the U.S., And this is due to our business model, to some respect, maybe. This is also due to a very open mindset to innovation in the US, especially when it comes to agriculture, which is part of the European um, mindset. The Europeans have always been a bit more, I would say, protective about their agriculture than the Americans have been. And this eventually also then maybe impacts the World of innovation in agriculture, where I would say there's plenty of young American innovative companies over the last 15, 20 years already existing. I think um, this development was a bit later in Europe. And also, I think as there is a good number of large agricultural organizations in the US, also the funding possibilities uh, were quite higher in, in the US compared to Europe. So I would say the Environment in Europe for young agriculture companies, I would describe as a bit later than in the US and a bit less funded than in the US. But uh, nevertheless, there's quite an impressive number now over the last years that came up. And this is on the hardware side, this is on the software side, um, this is on the input side, and this is also on the um, total digitalization side. Of, as, for example, how can we trade crops? Or how can I trade information? If you look at the mergers and acquisitions over the last, let's say, 10 years, Europe compared to the US, the US companies that have been acquired by larger corporations usually were tech companies where data and data analytics was the focus of the company. If you now look at the European companies that have been acquired, it was usually hardware companies, mid-sized or small-sized specialized hardware companies been focused in robotics or building tractors uh, for one specific purpose or building sprayers uh, balers for one specific purpose and usually they were actually not that uh, young they were usually uh, a couple of decades old already and were just suitable enough to complete the portfolio of a a larger ag machinery company so that uh, basically all the needs of the farmers can now be covered from one hand. So the innovation on the European side was not so young and it was more in the hardware side. And this was very different than in the US where it was more focused on data and data analytics.
0: Well, you just heard Benedict's very compelling story about going from tech into regenerative agriculture. You know, your career has been spent more in ag tech What I'm hearing is that the same investors that are interested in investing in ag technology are also interested in investing in regenerative agriculture, which to me just doesn't quite seem to be the same thing. You know, what are your thoughts on why are investors so bullish on regenerative agriculture, not on the concept, but as an investment opportunity?
2: Well, first of all, I would say the value of the soil is uh, a good reason to support that thinking because uh, actually the value will uh, will be the same or maybe even increase with um, regenerative agriculture so i would say this is definitely a good reason to, to invest in that and there might also be companies who are um, looking into that buying farms and applying new um, potentially regenerative uh, practices and um, then also gaining from the uh, increase of value of land. So I think this is definitely one thing. And maybe I can also imagine um, Benedict is oversimplifying here a bit if we say it's investing less because I would also say it's just investing in a different way and maybe a bit less related to cash but uh, into other factors and um, also if you see that I guess also the people. The number of people who will be employed by a farm working in, uh, in a regenerative way is also a different one. And you, Tim, touched this at the beginning. Uh, there's a reason why we have uh, the agricultural world as it is, because there are less and less people in rural ag. There are less and less people who are educated as farmers. And uh, there's less and less people who want to stay on the countryside and become a farmer. This has for sure several different reasons. But and this is one way actually also to turn around this one.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, Max, thank you very much for making this episode happen. Thank you for emailing me all those months ago. Thanks for the introduction to Benedict and for both of you spending time here today. Any final words before we wrap up this episode? Maybe I just
2: yeah I want to add that I'm happy, Tim, that you brought on some, some European perspective. And uh, I hope there's more. I hope there's more because no listener will understand any... European perspective only by listening to Benedict and myself, because uh, this is just two young guys with an opinion. This is just um, a very small glimpse of what people here in Europe think. And while you rightfully said when you talk about the American farmer and the American farm industry, it's usually the Midwest, but uh, in Europe, I cannot even dare to um, describe the typical uh, German or Swiss farmer I mean I'm German but I live in I live in Switzerland and uh, Benedict right he said he's back there uh, east of Berlin sandy soil no rain uh, I'm coming from the area of Cologne I mean our farm is just a fraction of the size of Benedict's but maybe the value is even higher because uh, the soil is just so much better and the rain is coming and then you have all the different countries you have incredibly different uh, farming conditions and this is also where a big opportunity lies for the European farmers is the value creation of their products and because we do have an amazing food chain here in Europe so we shouldn't be too humble about uh, global competition as Benedict was earlier because we do create amazing value with our food products and we do that all in Europe and I think this is also where a lot of export power is lying and where partly tradition meets innovation with also uh, innovating these kind of food process so I'm actually also quite helpful for that um, part of the European
0: agriculture, actually. Wow, what a great way to wrap up this episode. Thanks so much to Max Weitz and to Benedict Bosel for taking the time to be on the show here. Both of these guys look like they're pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you want to follow up with either one of them, reach out there on LinkedIn and let them know you heard them on the show here. Hey, another guy who's active on LinkedIn left us a very nice rating and review on iTunes. Thank you, Michael Dessa of AGD Consulting. His review says episode 216 with Stephen hohenreiter That's the title. Says this episode with Stephen is one of the best I've heard describing the methods of investing in a decentralized food system. Tim sets the stage and then allows Stephen to lay out his rationale for investing in the space in an incredibly clear and logical manner. Highly recommend to listen. Keep up the great work, Tim. Thank you very much, Michael. Really appreciate the kind review. If you're listening and you haven't yet left us a rating and review on iTunes, please consider doing so. It really doesn't take long and it helps us spread the word. Thank you for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back here next week with another story of ag innovation.